0: Hey, you're listening to episode 190. I'm really excited about today's episode because my friends Anthony Gustin and Chris Irvin are taking over the show. And we don't really have a lot of men on the show ever. And when I was putting together this episode and listening to the recording it's just such great male energy and they're talking back and forth and they approach things so differently than a woman would and I just I really appreciate that they came on the show and I love these takeovers I hope you all are loving these takeovers too if you haven't listened to some of the recent takeovers we had episode 186 where Stephanie Dodier took over 182 Vanessa Spina took over uh, and 178 we Dr. David Harper. In 170, we had Christina Kerp. So if you haven't heard any of these episodes, head on over to ketodietpodcast.com. Listen to the takeovers. Jump on Instagram. You can find me at Healthful Pursuit And let me know what you think of these takeovers. I'm really digging them because it's my show. And every time somebody sends me a recording, I'm like, it's a true gift. I get to learn and I'm not asking questions and they get so much deeper into topics that if somebody were interviewing them, I just don't think it would, I know it wouldn't be the same. So I really hope you guys enjoy today's conversation. The guys are going to be talking about how keto is different than Atkins. Should you work out to lose weight on keto? Do you need to, or is eating keto enough? Whether or not palm oil is okay, is bacon healthy? Why you're not eating enough protein, if you should bump up your protein and how to do that, electrolyte intake, why do we need it on keto? I mean, this is just they answer every common question that most beginners and some veterans still struggle with. So I'm really, really pumped about this. Now, if you are a beginner to keto and you're really looking for more support, head on over to healthfulpursuit.com slash begin. There is a 30-day guide on there that you can follow that I created um, back in 2014 and then redid in 2016 that should give you all the tools you need to make a really, really, really good first one month on your ketogenic diet. I've mentioned it a couple episodes, but I know that some of you miss certain episodes and you don't listen. I'm doing a new workshop series called the Empowered Woman Workshop. You can head on over to healthfulpursuit.com workshop two to join in now. It includes three weekly videos, meditations, weekly integration work so that you're integrating the things that I'm teaching in these workshops. And I also did a self-expression workshop a little bit ago, and that's still available. You can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash workshop one for my first workshop. And these two workshops really integrate the mental and spiritual side of our wellness, not just the physical, which is what many of us are only focused on really bringing in our spiritual and mental well-being, specifically in the Empowered Woman Workshop, we're talking about sexual well-being. I talk about it a bit in the self-expression workshop specifically in the last week, but I really delve deep in the Empowered Woman Workshop because I truly believe that our sexual health and being very confident in our sexuality and how we show up in the world makes a huge difference. So again, that's healthfulpursuit.com workshop two for the Empowered Woman Workshop. Today, our guests are Dr. Anthony Gustin, who's the CEO and co-founder of Perfect Keto, one of the fastest growing nutrition companies in the world, and the founder of Equip, which was voted best supplements company by Paleo Magazine. Dr. Gustin is also a functional medicine practitioner and a board certified chiropractor who holds a master's of science and a doctorate of chiropractic. His mission is to help people achieve optimal health and well-being through movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. Dr. Anthony Gustin and I have always aligned in many, many, many of our views. So generally, when he says stuff, I'm just like nodding my head. So today's episode is a real good one. And I just really sometimes it's nice to be validated by other practitioners where I'm like, I would have said the same thing. You know, it feels good. And I'm sure you can relate if you're a veteran listening to this episode our next guest is Chris Irvin, a nutrition science researcher and writer with an expertise in ketogenic dieting. Chris holds a master's degree in exercise and nutrition science and spent his time in graduate school studying the ketogenic diet for performance and therapeutic applications. Chris is the education manager at Perfect Keto and strives to make the ketogenic diet easy and keto science accessible to everyone. I've met Chris a couple times. He's a true gem. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. So without further ado, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast. If you're new around these parts, I'm Leanne Vogel. You may know me as the international best-selling author of The Keto Diet, The Keto Diet Cookbook, Keto for Women, and the writer behind the site HealthfulPursuit.com. As a woman, you already know exactly how hard it can be to lose weight, stay in shape, and make the best of your diet. I've put together a free 21-page guide exclusive to podcast listeners that shows you why imbalanced hormones are generally at the core of all struggles that women face when it comes to our weight and. Overall health. Go to ketoforwomen.com for your free guide. In this free 21 page guide called Managing Hormone Imbalances for the Keto Lady, I share tips that will help you find success in adjusting your keto to fit your lady body. First, I'll provide five tips to help you stay focused as a keto lady. And lastly, we will review the top hormone imbalances that affect women, signs you may have a hormone imbalance, and actions you can take right now to achieve hormone balance. You can get your free 21-page guide at keto 4 And thank you so much for listening today.
1: Hello, I am Dr. Anthony Gustin. And I'm Chris Irvin. And thank you to the lovely Leanne Vogel for giving us this air, this air time.
2: Yeah, we're pretty excited about this. It's going to be a very fun episode to record.
1: So yeah, Chris and I are launching a book. should be out by the time this airs. It's called Keto Answers. You guys may know that name, the same name of the podcast that him and I are both on all the time and that Leanne was actually the first guest on. Um, but yeah, we the, the book is over 250 questions and answers. It's basically all the stuff that I got as a clinician and have gotten over the last few years. Chris is a researcher. I mean, we've worked with tons of people and we've just gotten these questions the most. And so we decided to make it very detailed and break it all down. It's over 500 pages. It's a lot. It's a lot, but it's approachable. It's great. You guys can flip to any page you want and read any question you want, get any answer you want. Um, So we kind of made it like that. You can read it front to back, but you can also just peep at whatever questions and problems you're having,
2: whatever part you're
1: on in the key to change journey.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty great because it can be a resource for somebody who's a beginner and is just looking to kind of learn everything they need to know. But, you know, also somebody who may have some of the pieces figured out, they can search the questions that they have and just find them in the book and you know, like you said, there's over 250 of them. So I think there's going to be a lot of stuff in there that people are going to be looking for. Yeah. So same thing we're trying to do with Perfect Keto in general is just make keto Geno diet easier.
1: Same thing with this book. We are just trying to make it easier for people. So yeah. trying to break down all the stuff that we've learned, you know, working with ourselves as well as the people along the way. So we're just going to grab some of the main questions that we get a lot of the time. And these are from the book, the answers aren't, we're not reading chapters or anything like that. It's just sort of our updated take on them. But all the stuff, again, in the book is all clearly laid out, research everything. everything.
2: Cool. So let's dive into it. So the first question that we have comes from actually the first chapter in the book, and it is, how is keto different from Adkins? which is a question that we get a lot.
1: Yeah, I think you like this one. I do I like this big one. This yeah. One.
2: So I think a lot of people, they get the two mixed up because of the fact that they're both low carb diets. So I think that's, you know, one reason why people think that they're kind of the same thing. And we actually recently had an inquiry on Perfect Keto of somebody saying that uh, when we kind of differentiated between the two, saying that there there is no difference between them, they're both low-carb. And I think the biggest thing to consider... Here is that um, while both diets may get you into ketosis, that doesn't mean that they are the same thing. So, obviously, if you restrict carbohydrates, you're going to get your body into ketosis. But on Adkins, one of the things that they kind of failed to do was account for energy and they didn't really increase fat intake. So, Adkins is a lot higher protein. Um, Which I actually think, you know, as we're going to get into a little bit later in this episode, I think protein is something we should focus on a little bit more on keto. But uh, on Atkins, a lot of people were so focused on getting more protein in that they ended up just being very calorie restricted because, you know, fat is very, you know, calorie dense. So when you're not consuming very much of it, um, you end up having a pretty low calorie diet. So. And I think, you know, outside of that, too, the fact that Atkins has a, a carb reintroduction phase, obviously, that's a right. lot different from keto, too, and, and not something that you would do on a ketogenic diet. Yeah. And, and not only to that
1: point that, you know, introducing carbs at another time, but Atkins was just low carb. And sometimes when people just eat low carb, they're not measuring a lot and they, they can't tell if their body's actually in a state of ketosis, mm-hmm. which is using ketones for fuel. And yeah. so that's what's different about it being a named diet, Atkins versus ketosis, Whereas ketosis, you, you can tell. It's like it, it, your, your body's either using ketones or it's not. Mm-hmm. And so that's the point where it's a huge difference. You know, in the 90s, early 2000s or whatever, we weren't having you know people following an Atkins diet using blood BHB meters, for mm-hmm. example. And so now we can do that. We can actually see, like, is your metabolism in the state of ketosis, yes or no? It's yeah. a huge differenti- differentiating point, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think another thing is like, um, we, had, we actually had a little conversation about this at the office a couple of days ago. I think a lot of people like confuse if something is... If you're in ketosis, like ketosis and ketogenic diet as being the same thing. And I think that's what leads people to think that like, you know, Atkins is the same as keto. But the ketogenic diet is a diet just like, you know, South Beach is a diet or any other diet is out. Like they are an actual diet. Ketosis is, is a metabolic state. So, you know, just to consider any diet that gets you into ketosis as like being keto, that's not necessarily the case. And I think that's kind of a big differentiator for people that, you know, ketogenic dieting is higher fat. A lot of people are making a higher fat than it should be, I think, but it is higher fat than an Atkins diet. Love it. All right. What do we have next? All right. So the next question we have, and I know this one's going to be one of your favorites, I think, is do I have to work out to lose weight on keto? So <laughs> technically,
1: no, you can lose weight or fat. I'm, I'm assuming you're, you mean fat here when you ask mm-hmm. this question for people. And we, we talk about that in the book. But yeah. I mean, the question I asked is like, wh- why would you not work out regardless of health goal? Like we, we just know the benefits you would get, like the, the benefits are limitless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your human body should be moving. It mm-hmm. should be working out. So while no, it is not critical for losing fat, you can regulate a lot of stuff with just nutrition only. It's going to help. It's for sure going to help. Mm-hmm. Not only with losing fat and mobilizing fat and using more energy and, causing your, your muscles to squeeze and your blood to pump and inflammation to go down, oxygen consumption to go up, all
2: this different stuff. But it's not necessary, but it's highly, highly encouraged. Yeah. What's your answer? No, I agree. I think like the very easy answer is that no, you do not have to, but yes, you definitely should. is, is kind of where I come from. You know, there's plenty of research out there showing people just following keto. Like we know that when you're following keto, you're putting your body in an optimal fat burning state. But adding exercise in, to your point, is going to enhance those results. Uh, it can also help you get more keto adapted, which is going to help you get in that fat burning zone a little bit better and all of the, the health benefits that you just mentioned that come with it. So, you know, while you don't have to do it, it's just so strongly recommended that we can't imagine not doing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like asking, should I sleep if I want to lose fat? sick? You should just sleep in general. <laughs> yeah. like you should just you should move and work out and make sure that you're physically active, regardless of any goal. If you, even if you
2: have zero goals, unless your goal is to be unhealthy. I think that you should be working out. Yeah, for sure. Love it. All right, next question. And this is uh, another one of our favorites here is, are there any oils to avoid on a ketogenic diet? So obviously, keto being a higher fat diet, a lot of people are using like coconut oil, olive oil, things like that. But are there any oils that we should be avoiding? Ooh, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that we're at. ketogenic diet can be
1: unhealthy. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the easiest ways is to have vegetable and seed oils in your diet. Yep. So these are... Super industrial processed so from you know either rapeseed slash canola, soybean, corn oil, peanut oil. These things are these are not traditionally fatty foods mm-hmm. that we have no other way to use them because they're subsidized. We have a surplus of them, so we squeeze them out into tiny little, um, like so. For instance, like soybean oil is four thousand soybeans I think per teaspoon. Jeez, that's crazy. Like you, you should like no one's going to be able to get and shuck and eat four thousand. Soybeans mm-hmm. and get that much oil out of it. Where people are eating cups and cups of oils. And so these things are taken, they're all like ultra processed, they're really t- bad forms of fat, and they can really destroy your cell linings. So, yep. pretty much, I-, I would say anything where it's something that's not a naturally fatty food, mm-hmm. you know, coconut, it's fatty, right? You make coconut milk with it, coconut oil, you can just squeeze it and oil will come out. Yep. Olives, same thing. Yep. Squeeze it, fat comes out. Avocado, same thing. It's very really fatty. Is a soybean fatty? Right. Mm, I don't think so. Is corn fatty? <laughs> no. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the way I think about it. Is, is, is it a, a thing that's naturally fatty
2: and something that you can squeeze and see something fat come out of it? Mm-hmm. If so, great. Yeah. If not, skip. Yeah. And I think um you know, like when you point out that this is where a ketogenic diet can be unhealthy, it's because it's so hard to find products that don't contain vegetable oils now. Like, you know, for a lot of you guys out there that are just getting like mixed nuts from the store, almost every single one is mixed with it's a blend of different vegetable oils, canola oil, corn oil, whatever. And same thing if like you're trying to dine out, you know, most people are cooking in these these oils because they're also very cheap. So, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you get a burger without the bun, it's very unlikely that they're using avocado oil or coconut oil to cook it. They're probably using canola oil or corn oil or something like that. Um, so, and I actually think like, you know, being a little bit of like the research nerd here going into it, I think this is one of the reasons why we see a really big discrepancy when you look at studies of like, okay, 20 people are following a ketogenic diet and we're looking at like inflammatory markers and, you know, we just don't really see all of that consistent results amongst the people in the keto group. Well, that's because, you know, I can be following a ketogenic diet where I'm cooking my meals at home, I'm using healthy oils, you know, really low inflammatory oils, things like that, and you can be dining out, eating bunless burgers from McDonald's. We're both following the same macronutrients, but obviously the composition of our food intake is a lot different. Very so, different. Yeah, so I think that, like, that's one of the, the things for, you know, high, the high-fat diet, the high-fat nature of the ketogenic diet is why we need to take these things into consideration because it's very easy to just end up consuming massive amounts of these very pro-inflammatory oils. Yeah, and then pro tip about palm oil. So a lot of people mm. think palm oil is
1: bad for you nutritionally. Yeah. It's actually not the case. So Palm is a fruit, and so you can squeeze that. It's a very fatty fruit. The bad part about palm is that it can destroy rainforest, kill orangutans. We all have heard of these horror stories. If it says anything about being certified as, you know, there's a bunch of different certification programs on the package, like certified whatever palm, that's totally fine. If not, you know, you make the ethical and moral choice about how you want to choose that. But palm oil is actually falls into the category of healthy, you know,
2: stable fats. What does it mean if it's certified? Why is that better?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, one of my podcasts with Jeff Knobs talked all about this, but mm-hmm. they, they go through and it's actually a sustainable cycle where mm-hmm. they, they're they not tearing down rainforests to do yeah. this. They chop down the palm and actually then use the leftovers to put into steam engines that powers the plant. Mm-hmm. And then the palm grows really fast. So it's mm-hmm. actually really, it can be really cheap and a really great production, but it's sort of like, if not, then it's like basically they're going to Indonesia and Thailand, et cetera, and, and wiping out original ecosystems and habitats.
2: Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. So if you guys see like MCTs coming from palm oil, that doesn't mean that they're any worse you know, especially if you're getting them from like the certified sources, like they're still an MCT. It's just a like molecularly, it's going to be the same, whether it's coming from the coconut oil or the palm oil. Yeah, There's no
1: nutritional difference. between And it's going to be coconut
2: for sure. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, interact the same way in your body. So yeah, the biggest thing is just making sure that it's a sustainable practice
0: back to today's episode in a sec. ButcherBox features 100% grass-fed and finished heritage-bred pork and organic free-range chicken. ButcherBox sends you high-quality, health-promoting meats directly to your door on dry ice and free shipping anywhere in the lower 48. ButcherBox makes committing to quality protein sources less expensive and more available to everyone. Their prices are hard to beat, and it's challenging to find a higher quality product anywhere in the USA. I've been using ButcherBox for years and love the convenience of a package showing up just when I need it, and their ground sausage is an absolute dream. ButcherBox has put together a super special deal for all listeners of the show. Order your first box and get a special gift plus an additional $20 off. Now, this special gift is so epic that I can't even mention it on the episode today. So you'll have to go to butcherbox.com keto diet to check out the deal plus get your $20 off your very first order. Again, that's butcherbox.com keto diet to check out the deal plus get $20 off your first order. If you're unsure of the link, simply check out today's show notes for all the details. Okay, back to today's episode.
2: All right, the next one, and this one may not be the one that uh, we're going to be the fan favorites for, but uh, is bacon healthy? I don't think it's a health food. I don't think it's going to kill you if you have bacon every now and then,
1: but you get some people who are eating literally plates of bacon when they go on a ketogenic diet. Mm
2: -hmm. I do not think that's a wise choice. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing with bacon and with a lot of things on keto is that just because you can have it on keto doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy. And that's all you should eat. Yeah. And that's all that you should eat. Just exactly. Because like butter fits into it. So it doesn't mean that you should be literally eating sticks of butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to remember that like, you know, bacon, like taking things out of our diet is really important. So, you know, on keto, you're removing carbohydrates. That's really important. But what we replace those foods with is just as important. What we're nourishing our body with is really important. And, you know, if you're just nourishing it with Bacon, which is not gonna contain very many micronutrients, they're gonna be beneficial to you, not a very high quality source of protein. Um, you're frying the heck out of it. So, you know, it's probably not that great for you in that way either. Yeah, again, doesn't mean that it's something that you shouldn't have. It's definitely a nice little treat to have on keto, but it shouldn't become a staple in your diet, just like pork rind shouldn't be a staple in your diet and cheese and things like that. Yeah, it's just
1: like it's actually really hard from an agricultural standpoint to produce pigs. Mm-hmm. From a, a normal standpoint, like if, if you have to get farm pig, like they're they're out of their natural state. Like mm-hmm. Getting wild boars, like getting some like low processed wild boar bacon, is pretty rare. Yeah, if you can get that, then it's like it's sort of a different story, right? But when you are having commercially raised pork and then chopping that up and making bacon out of those pork bellies, and then sits in a grocery store for years on end because it can just sit there Mm -hmm.
2: that's probably not what you should be loading up on yeah and it's like the thing with pigs is that they'll eat whatever they put in front of them so you know most farmers out there are not feeding them the best diet so it does lead to like a lower quality meat source so, yeah, I think that's a really big thing to take into consideration. Now, do I eat bacon? Like, definitely. I have bacon probably like once a week if I'm going out to eat for breakfast somewhere and that's like a good side option, I'll get it because I think it's a great treat. But I think the point is, is like this is not something that should be a staple of your diet. A treat. A treat. <laughs> it is, you know, bacon's It is delicious. We can't deny that. Man, fact. Of course. All right. So don't hate us for that. We think it's fine that you have bacon. Just don't eat it every single day. Have some eggs. All right, next one. And this is probably I would say the most common question that I get, at least on my social media channel, I would say probably the same for you. How much protein should I have on keto? I think that for me, it's fat loss plateaus, which
1: we've covered extensively several different times. Yeah, that's another big one. I agree with that. But as far as protein goes, I think that people in in general on ketogenic diet are not eating enough protein. Totally agree. Yeah. People think that it's low carb, low protein, high fat. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I don't think a wise move. Mm-hmm. So you need to think about like, okay, people know the macronutrients carb, fat, and protein. And one of the big things here is that you have separated into like structural macronutrients and energy containing macronutrients, mm-hmm. meaning that carbohydrates or fat can provide energy to the body. You can break that down and use it for energy, for, f- for fuel. Protein, not the same thing. Protein is basically what you're made of. Mm-hmm. And so if you limit that, you're gonna be made of crap. Like you're gonna have to recycle a bunch of old stuff. You're not gonna have the, the materials to build new cells. Mm-hmm. It's just not a wise thing to, re- to reduce protein.
2: Yeah. And I think a big thing to remember with keto is that the reason why we have these like recommendations of you know, you hear 20 to 25% of your calories coming from protein on a ketogenic diet. That's how the ketogenic diet was invented in the 20s when it was invented for pediatric epilepsy. Yeah. So if, if you know a child with epilepsy, it was like yeah. First of all, there's probably different protocols now than based on 100 years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot for pediatric epilepsy. There's a lot of stuff with like modified Atkins now where mm-hmm. they're actually showing that, you know, having a higher protein intake ketogenic diet can still be beneficial for with those people. With use of MCT, et cetera, just mm-hmm. ketones, etc. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is like that's what it was invented for back then. But that's not the same reason why a lot of us are using it today. So, you know, I think that's something that we should take into consideration is, is like, it's a different use case now. And if you look at, you know, everybody's going to have different protein demands depending on what their goal is. But if you look at, you know, there's a study published last November, December, I believe, where they had men and women working out on a ketogenic diet and they were consuming about 20% of their calories from protein. And I believe that they were in an energy uh, calorie maintenance phase. And the men, I think both groups lost muscle, but the men especially lost muscle. And that's just because like you, you have, if you're working out, you have higher protein demand. It's something that you need to be focusing on, especially to meet your goals. Yeah. You just don't want to lose your muscle mass. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things is hard to get when you you get older and
1: reduction in muscle mass is like the single thing that we know causes every sort of way you can
2: die. Yeah. Keep that muscle mass. please. Yeah. I think another question that we'll kind of add on to this one, because this is usually a follow up that I get is like, Okay. I'm following keto. I was doing the 20 to 25% protein. Now I'm increasing it to say, you know, 40 to 50% protein, something like that. You know, what am I supposed to do with my fat? Like, do I need to counteract this increase in protein intake by increasing my fat because I'm worried about these ratios and things like that? Yeah. What's your take on that? I know we will probably need to touch on gluconeogenesis for a brief second because that's where I think this comes from. But what do you usually say to that? Yeah. I mean, I don't like people measuring their food in
1: percentages like that. Yeah. I'd rather do grams. If you want to measure your food at Which I'm I'm actually not a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. If you want to, that's fine. But I would rather just do it in grams. And if if you're going to increase protein, and you're not increasing energy demands drastically, I'll probably reduce fat a little bit. Mm -hmm. But not, no, I don't think like if you, yeah, if you need to eat more, then that's a different scenario. Yeah, and and so like I'm not a big fan of percentage based macronutrients.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that like you know we talk a lot about like fat being a lever. And, you know, we can use fat, like we mentioned earlier, is really calorie dense. So it's something that you can use when you need to increase your energy intake. So, you know, the reason why you don't want to be one of the reasons why you don't want to be high protein, low fat, low carb is that because you're not providing your body with energy from the food that you're eating when you do that. So, you know, if you're somebody who's eating, you know, 1600 calories and you're consuming a pretty high amount of protein and you're following keto, the only thing you can do is increase your fat from there you know, that's going to be how you can add calories into your diet. But um, I think in general, too many people are focusing on eating too much fat. Like when we first start keto, it's like douse everything in, in oil and put butter on everything. The ketogenic diet that you and I follow now is like eating fattier cuts of meat. Like right. we're not dousing everything in additional fats. I don't use that much extra oil ever. No, nah, me neither. Yeah. And so the other thing to unpack with that too, that I think we're, is worth talking about is where this fear of having too much protein comes from. And we can just briefly touch on that. But you know, the fear of too much protein is coming from this process called gluconeogenesis that a lot of you guys have probably heard about, um, which this is a process that occurs in the body that uh, happens. It's basically your body takes non-carbohydrate substrate and turns it into glucose in the body so it can use amino acids and and other things. And because it can use amino acids to produce this glucose, people think that, oh, if I have too much protein, I'm going to be converting that extra protein into glucose but that's not how that happens if you want to touch on right
1: i mean it's a demand driven process meaning that if you you know your body needs to store a certain amount of glucose in your cells called glycogen so Mm -hmm. it can if you do some explosive movement and you don't have a lot of oxygen around it can burn this for energy Mm -hmm. and so if you use some of that stuff working out or doing whatever like that's normal your body will go okay let's fill it up a little bit more you can get that from protein but it it can also get that from fat and so a triglyceride floating around your bloodstream for energy sources, like the, the backbone of that is a, is a glycerol molecule, which can go to glycogen or mm-hmm. glucose. So yeah. just the same way that protein can be made into carbohydrates inside your body, fat can as well, but it's
2: a demand-driven process, meaning that your body only does it when it needs to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the same reason why, you know, the easy way to look at this is when you guys stop eating carbohydrates, your blood glucose doesn't go to zero. Right. Right? Like for most people, you're hanging well, you, out. In and the, you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that. Yeah. And the reason why, too, is that, as we mentioned earlier, you know, protein is not a an energy source, but fat and carbohydrates are uh, and ketones are. But there are actually certain cells in your body that cannot use Uh, fat and ketones for energy so like your red blood cells can only use glucose for energy so that's like one of the reasons why we have to have this process of gluconeogenesis in place so that we can when we're not eating carbohydrates we can still be you know have enough glucose for you know these cells that can't use ketones and fat truth but you know eating a steak is not going to convert it into chocolate cake in the body i think that's my favorite reference there yeah bonus question good work
0: I hope you're totally digging this episode. I love putting these together every week and I hope you're getting something out of it. I love seeing where you're listening from. So next time you're listening or even right now, take a picture of yourself watching the show or a screenshot of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram at healthful pursuit. And if social isn't your thing, that's totally fine. Just jump on your favorite podcast player and leave a review for the show. Okay, back to the good stuff.
2: Next question, another one that I would say falls into like top 10 keto questions we get is, why are electrolytes so important on keto? Oh, boy. I mean, the main answer
1: is that when you dump insulin, your insulin decreases, you start um, excreting more electrolytes out of your urine. And that's the the biggest thing. So you just need more because your body doesn't hold on to
2: as many electrolytes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people when, uh, so this is also the reason why electrolyte deficiencies and dehydration is the reason why I would say is 95% of the reason why people have keto flu symptoms. I think a lot of times people think that they're going through carb withdrawal when they're yeah. uh, experiencing keto flu symptoms. But really what it is, is that your electrolytes are really low because, you know, a lot of people are afraid of salting their foods. You know, there's not a whole lot of great whole food sources of electrolytes. I think when you're on a ketogenic diet, supplementation is, is really important. and fair paramount.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was actually talking to Rob Wolf about this. Mm, yeah. And he, I was like, okay, so what's the deal? Because this is something that I didn't piece together before that he, of course, had a great answer for. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so we were probably mainly keto in the old paleo time, right? What a cave, what how was caveman getting his sodium and electrolytes and stuff like that? Yeah. And they are saying, like, actually, like obviously, so plants don't suck up as many minerals out of the ground now. So that, that's that's one way that plants just had a little bit more but animals in general, like wild animals, if you go out and kill a wild animal and eat it without draining it with all of its blood and all this other stuff, and like if it's eating normal stuff, actually that blood has a lot of electrolytes in it. Oh, interesting. And so when you're cutting up and eating wild animals on the spot like you would have if you would
2: have killed an animal mm-hmm. 10,000 years ago, um, you, that's actually where a lot of the electrolytes would have came from. Yeah. I think this is kind of like... this is We're not going to go deep down this rabbit hole, but it's kind of like with like the paleo movement and everything we don't have the same access to things like that that we used right. to. So we have to find ways around that. And, you know, yeah, our caveman ancestors didn't have to use electrolyte supplements. They didn't have to be taking capsules or powders and their, their drinks to get electrolytes in. But we do because we don't have that same access that they used to. Right. I mean, we, we do, but I don't think people are going to go out and kill animals to eat them <laughs> tonight for their dinner. That's true. Yeah. So what about you know, when it comes to replenishing those electrolytes? How do you recommend doing that?
1: Obviously, we have a product. Rob has a product. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, just getting in sources like that's totally fine. Just doing a lot of like pink Himalayan sea salt. Yeah. We were like
2: uh, Redmond. Redmond Real Salt Baby. That's great. Yeah, salting. Salting the hell out of your food. Yeah. Avocados are another good one too. I think um, like one of my favorite things to do after a workout because I sweat a lot. So I feel like I really need it then is when I make like my, I'll do like a, a whey protein collagen shake and then I'll do like a half an avocado and then add some salt in there to help replenish everything. Yeah. I'm also, drinking, I'm drinking collagen right now with salt in it. There you go. See, we practice what we preach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, before we get to this next question, I'll also add that another great way to get electrolytes in is uh, through using exogenous ketones. Um, exogenous ketones are bound to minerals, and they're usually bound to the minerals that you need to replenish on keto. So that's a great way to do it. But that leads into the next question, which is, are exogenous ketones safe? Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, boy, we better shut down. Yeah. Shut down the business. Uh, Clearly, we <laughs> think so.
1: And uh, like maybe it's biased or not. I just I have no reason to think that they are unsafe. It's mm-hmm. literally what your body can run on for energy source when you're on a ketogenic diet. It's sort of the same exact molecule. So yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. I think um, where this like this is a very common question, but where this question is usually coming from is that people on keto fear that if they take Exogenous ketones supplement that they are going to be stopping their body from producing ketones, and that 's just not necessarily what happens when, when you do this so what, what you 'll see happening when you take exogenous ketones and for those out there who have never taken them, exogenous ketones are basically just supplemental ketones, so you know the ketones you 're taking the ketones that your body 's producing are known as endogenous ketones as you know they 're made in the body, exogenous is coming from outside the body, supplemental. So, when you take these exogenous ketones, you're going to see like a two to three hour increase in your blood ketones, which just means that you're going to have more energy available... Uh, for your body to use. So one of the things that we know from research is that the brain uptake of ketones is proportional to their availability in the blood. So if we can get more ketones in the blood, uh, we can be providing more energy to the brain. So you know, using exogenous ketones, you know, before a workout, before you you're working, you know, yeah, that, that's caffeine. my favorite thing.
1: It's like yeah. e- even when I'm on a ketogenic diet, I'm really limited to carbohydrates, doing everything normally with my nutrition. My levels of my blood, if I tested a meter, are like 0.5 to 0.8, yeah. especially if I've been doing it for a while, which I have years. Mm-hmm. I can take exogenous ketones get up to like 2.0, and my brain will be on fire at that point, point. Yep. and I can do a lot of really productive work. My body just doesn't... It's really efficient at using them, so it doesn't make a surplus for my brain to use. Right. So that's why I use it for my goal. There's a lot of different therapies where I think that we mm-hmm. were working with a research lab, and we gave a bunch of ketones to do some tests. I mean, what was that for? Cancer. Cancer. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff, you know, applications for this beyond just adapting to a ketogenic diet, which I think this can, you know, the reason why that works so well at that point is because your body is used to using carbohydrates. You take it off, you give it a surplus of ketones. It goes, oh, okay, I can start using this stuff a little bit faster than if you were to just deprive your body of all energy moving forward.
2: Yeah, and it's like you can almost think about using exogenous ketones as a kind of a biohacking technique. Like you were mentioning is that you... You know, your body, just because it produces a certain amount of ketones doesn't mean that there's not benefit to having more, especially for those cases where, like for me, I'm hitting a deep work session, two, three hours of writing or something like that. Like when you're writing this book, having extra energy available to my brain is just going to be a great thing. So that's a great time to use it. This
1: book was written primarily on ketones. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's powered by ketones, I would say.
1: Powered by ketones,
2: baby. (laughs) Yeah. And on the note of, I think, a good testament, two things I'll kind of wrap that up with is a good testament to the people who think that taking exogenous ketones will stop your natural production. If you test your ketones before taking exogenous ketones and then test it three hours later, two to three hours, depending on, you know, who you are, your ketones will go back to their baseline measure. They will not go back to zero. So I think that's a big testament that your body isn't stopping producing them. Test it out. Yeah, test it out. And then another one, just to kind of share a story, is we had somebody, the person that's kind of doing a lot of the research uh, with cancer and using the ketones, had a patient who was having a hard time getting their ketones elevated, and it was leading to them having seizures. And, um, they just, you know, following keto, couldn't get them up, started taking exogenous ketones. And that led to not just during the time when she was taking the ketones, but over the course of the whole day, it was increasing her ketone production and she actually stopped having seizures from it. So obviously that's just a single case study, but if she was taking this and it was just completely stopping her own ketone production, we would not have seen that same. Yeah. Benefit. It would have been the opposite result. Yeah, exactly. So Obviously, we like exogenous ketones. All right, another question. We got three more before we wrap it up with you guys. Um, next question is: that What is the difference between fasting and keto? Well,
1: you can. F- if you're fasting, you'll be in ketosis. Mm-hmm. But if you're in ketosis, you're not necessarily fasting. How about that? Little
2: mm, make you think. it. yeah, brain matter. Yeah, we'll give you guys so, a second. So...
1: Fasting, of course, if you fast for long enough, no matter if you are eating carbohydrates or not, you'll start breaking down your own body fat for fuel because you are not intaking anymore. So, again, we we're talking about before if you have stored glucose in your body, like that tank can go to zero. Your body needs to maintain it, so it starts breaking down fat for energy for ketones, yep. but also for fat mobilization and to for that glycerol backbone. Mm-hmm. So, you will always, you know, after at least a couple of days for every single person, be in ketosis when you are fasting. But when you are in ketosis, there are certain, you know. Signaling molecules, things like that, different things that happen when you're fasting that don't happen when you're in ketosis eating a normal diet. Yep, which is okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know a really good, I think brief history lesson to talk about that is when we talked about how the ketogenic diet was invented. It was actually invented to mimic fasting. So when keto was invented for epilepsy, prior to that, it was known that like fasting was a very useful mechanism for managing epilepsy. And one of the biggest problems with this is telling people that they can't eat to manage their disease is obviously not going to be a very effective strategy, especially for children who are trying to, you know, maintain growth and everything like that. So it was found that this high fat ketogenic dieting, cutting out carbohydrates was able to mimic this metabolic state that we were seeing during fasting, but still allowing them to eat. So the similarity between the two of them is that you're, you know, on both fasting and ketogenic dieting, you're going to be getting increased ketone production, you're going to have lower blood glucose levels and lower insulin levels. But to your point, you're not going to be necessarily experiencing a lot of those same benefits like autophagy and all those things that people talk about with fasting. That's going to be kind of the difference between the two. But you know, from a metabolic standpoint, they're going to be very similar in the body. Truth, truth.
0: Back to today's episode in a sec. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, the makers of my favorite magic elixirs, like the Lion's Mane Elixir. Add to coffee, your morning tea, smoothies, shakes, you name it, and watch your anxiety go down and your cognitive function increase. Each of their elixirs are formulated to support various aspects of your health and wellness, from brain function to energy production, relaxation, and more. They're easy to travel with, you can add them to any liquid, and they're pretty tasty too. Use the coupon code KETO, all in caps, for 15% off all things at Forsigmatic.com slash keto. Unsure of the link? Check out today's show notes for all the details. Okay, back to today's episode.
2: Next question, and this one is one of my personal favorites because I have had a lot of family members asking me about this. Um, but is, is keto safe for pregnancy slash breastfeeding? We kind of combined these two together.
1: Yeah. So like I was mentioning before, we were likely in a ketogenic state for much of our hominid history. Mm-hmm. So I know. And then we, we chat about this all the time and just sort of laugh that like we ask if like, okay, if you're eating a whole foods based keto approach, which obviously we recommend more than anything else. Yeah. Start with real food, stuff that spoils as close as you can get it to where you live compared to what most people are eating mm-hmm. and the fact that they have children that survive. Yeah. Like you can eat Snickers bars. Mm-hmm. Like obviously like one is healthier than another. Yeah. But this is something where like, I think people freak out and think that they're literally going to kill their infants. Yeah. Or not be able to get pregnant. And
2: it's actually the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think obviously we don't have a lot of research on this because it's not going to be very ethical to be testing new dietary strategies in pregnant and nursing women. It's just not something that we're going to be able to do. But anecdotally, we hear a lot of stories about how people do just fine with it, sometimes even better during pregnancy or breastfeeding when they're following keto. But yeah, I think it's like, it's one of the things that makes me laugh the most when you hear somebody they're they're very panicked about cutting carbohydrates out of their diet, but they're totally okay with eating processed chips, uh, having fried foods and drinking like Coca-Cola while they're pregnant and breastfeeding. It's like if, if you're not worried about that stuff harming your child, then I don't think you should really be worried about a whole food keto diet doing it.
1: Yeah. And one of the biggest things to just removing carbohydrates, again, the thing that we talked about before is that we have this process that's great called gluconeogenesis. Yep. So even if we need to create some some glucose or carbohydrates for the breast milk that happens as a demand driven process in the body and that can happen from protein and fat. And so Mm -hmm. we don't need that for it to be present in breast milk. We don't need that to be present in the bloodstream. Yeah. Again, like you said, we take carbs out, our blood sugar, our blood glucose stabilizes at a certain point, doesn't go to zero. Mm -hmm. The same thing with a lot of these things are nutrients that we're trying to pass on to an infant or newborn.
2: Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. And I think, you know, the best thing to do is, you know, get to get some help from somebody who has either done it before, or there's a lot more practitioners out there that will give guidance there. I think one thing to take into consideration with, especially with like breastfeeding is that you know, having a big change in your diet can put the stress around your body that may impact, like, your milk production. So I think, like...
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't change... Like, if, mm-hmm. if you're new to keto and you want to switch over while you're trying to get pregnant or in pregnancy or in as you're breastfeeding, like, that's just never a good time mm-hmm. if you've never done it before. If you're in and out all the time throughout the year, it's, like, not a big deal. But right. this is the first time, like, changing your nutrition is going to be a hugely stressful environment for your body. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're eating carbohydrates at the time, just focus on real foods. And if yeah. you're, if you're getting your carbohydrates from like
2: sweet potatoes and plantains, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like when you listen to, I was actually at a conference recently, uh, a few months ago and we they were talking about like minimum carbohydrate requirements for pregnant and nursing women. And, when I was kind of listening to this, I, I it kind of noticed a lot of people in the audience were taking these numbers that they were given. I think the number was like 120 grams of carbohydrates per day was like the minimum that people should be having. But this was kind of based on this. People were taking that at face value rather than thinking about it. And the problem with this recommendation is is that it fails to take into consideration it had a kind of a false pretense behind it. So the reason why it was recommended that people have 120 grams of carbohydrates when they're pregnant and breastfeeding was because of the fact that they thought they'd be micronutrient deficient because they wouldn't be getting enough like vegetables and starches in their diet problem with that is that a lot of the micronutrients that are in vegetables and starches are not very bioavailable to us so if that's the reason why we're recommending people to be consuming more carbohydrates on keto that's kind of based off of a misunderstanding of how our body metabolizes the food we eat eat your organ meats eat your organ meats egg yolks yep (laughs) all right so the last question we're going to leave you guys with last one last one already i know it's been a blast hate wrapping it up but this is another big one. The question is, do I have to stay keto forever? Obviously, the answer is, of course, right? Yeah. You, I mean, you do not want to see what happens if you go off keto. <laughs> You're done. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Weight gain comes back
1: real fast. The, the question is, why, yeah, why would you want to go back to what you were doing before? Like, this is one of the things where people see so many benefits. And I, I mean, I do not, there's anything wrong with carbohydrates means. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that carbs are the devil. I don't think keto is the only way. If you try keto and you like eating carbohydrates, as long as you're eating real foods, it's like, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So the, no, you do not have to stay on it. I think it's beneficial for people and humans to go through some periods of fasting. They go through some periods of ketosis kind of off and on throughout the year if they're not planning to be there in the, in the, the entirety of their year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no reason why you have to stay on it forever, but there's also no reason why you can't.
2: Yeah, I think one of the reasons why people think that you have to stay on it forever is because you hear all these horror stories of people coming off keto and like rapidly regaining weight. And (laughs) well, it's because they go back to eating Doritos, right? Yeah, it's like you know, if you went to the gym and you started like you were working out a bunch and you gained a bunch of muscle, and then you just stopped going to the gym and then you started just sitting on the couch and you lost all of you know, the muscle that you gained, would you be like, Oh, the gym doesn't work. I had to stay in the gym forever for it to be beneficial. You know, it just does like, if you go back to that way that you were living your lifestyle before, then obviously you're going to have that rapid weight gain and you're going to kind of go back to that previous way. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your plan? Are you going to do keto forever? I mean, to be honest, I really just enjoy the way that I feel on it. Like I, I don't have a reason to stop. The foods that I enjoy most are meat uh yeah, I I don't, I don't miss anything. I don't yeah, there's really nothing. I don't really, you know, and I'm have a pretty healthy relationship with food to the point where like if I'm traveling somewhere like uh just recently went to Mexico a few months ago on my uh anniversary and definitely enjoying some of the cultural cuisine that's there. You know, when I went to Italy last year on my honeymoon, I did the same thing. Like if I travel somewhere and there's a food that I want to have, that's, you know, part of the experience, like I'm going to have that. But in my day to day, I know that, you know, waking up and starting the day with a a pastry, like I had to do for that (laughs) <laughs> blood glucose testing experiment a couple days ago um, does not set me up for success the rest of the day. And I, I really like the way I feel when I just eat meat and some vegetables.
1: Yeah. And I've tested it sort of like eating sweet potatoes, plantains, et cetera, at times. And sometimes I feel good and sometimes I don't. So mm-hmm. I just play around with it. And sometimes I I go back, sometimes I don't. And like you, I when I travel, I was in Europe a couple months ago. I was eating local food. I was eating bread in France. I was eating all this stuff. So I yeah. mean, it's just It's a tool, right? Right. And so what is your goal? My goal is to be as healthy as long as possible. And I think that for me and my family history of health conditions and how I respond to things, my metabolic history, you know, was overweight when I was younger, a lot of abuse of of eating a lot of high-carb foods. I think it just works for me and my metabolism. That's why I think it works for a lot of people in this country and worldwide is that we've just had a lot of... We we went so far off of the mark of what's normal for a human being Mm -hmm. that to go back, we have to eat sort of a little bit different of a diet. And we need to treat our bodies a little bit differently. And so that's how I view it. And that's why I think it works for me.
2: Yeah. And I think that makes actually a really good point with why people need to be on keto. Why most people need to be on keto It's like, if you have been chronically consuming a lot of carbohydrates, especially processed carbohydrates for a long period of time, your body's insulin resistant, you no longer use carbs very well. So that's, like, why you need to to go on keto. And for some people, you may be able to do keto for a certain period of time, and then you may be able to kind of reverse a lot of those problems that you had. But for some people, the damage may be so severe that you really should kind of continue following a low-carb diet. Does that mean that you have to be strict keto under 20 grams of carbs all of the time? No, but following a lower-carb approach is probably going to be more beneficial for you.
1: Yeah, and, like, if you were were raised eating only whole foods and you've never – I mean, you just can't eat that many carbohydrates. Yeah. You know? If I'm only eating sweet potatoes in addition to my meat that I'm eating, I'm going to eat like 7,500 grams of carbs max in a day. Yeah. That's if I'm stuffing my face full mm-hmm. and putting tons of butter and everything on it to make the, the potato actually taste better than it is yeah. normally. Mm-hmm. And if you grew up like that, you're not going to have a problem. You're not going to need to have ketosis. You're not going to probably realize a lot of the benefits that we do. But if you've had a history like... 99.9% of Americans and people, other people in other you know, Western world, it's going to be a really effective tool for you. That's just the way it is. That's yeah. where we're at.
2: Yeah, totally agree. All right, guys. So that's uh, thats 10 questions that we pulled from the book. So like Dr. Gustin mentioned at the beginning of this, the Keto Answers book, has over 250 of the most common keto questions. They're just like this where you know, there's a question and then we kind of break it down. Some of the questions have short answers. Some of them have long answers. But I think that if you guys are, are looking for information or if you're looking for, if you know people that are wanting to start keto but they have a lot of questions, I think this is gonna be a really great resource. Yeah,
1: for if you've been doing it for a while and maybe your goals have changed, maybe things have changed for you. it also is a good thing for you. So yep, head to Amazon, pick it up, leave us a review if you like it or if you don't whatever. We still want to hear from you. And thanks again to the wonderful Leanne for having us on today.
2: Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more keto for women secrets for your fat-fueled life.